And now I want to invite you to kneel with me. And let's seek the Lord together before we begin our study here uh, for, for today. Our Heavenly Father, we come before Thee. We thank You so much for this Holy Sabbath day that we, that we can share in the blessings of heaven, that uh, we can fellowship with You and for, with heavenly angels, uh, that we can sing praises to You, that we can share our love from, from our hearts, that we can uh, fellowship with like believers, we can rest from the battles, the trials that we go through each each and every day of the week. And, and today we can rest from that. And we thank You for creating this day. We thank You for the opportunity, Lord, to, to get this taste of heaven. Father, as we come before Thee, we pray that You will forgive each and every one of us, every one of Your people, their sins. Help us, Lord, to overcome these things, to look up to Thee, to trust Thee. That we may be drawn closer to You. And help us to exercise our faith that it may be strengthened as we work to share the truth with all. Father, we lift up before you all those who are ill. We think of Sister Twelve Gates. She's had surgery. She's recuperating. We pray, Lord, that you will give her a speedy recovery. That you will heal her quickly. We think of uh, some missing members that we have. We pray that they were well and safe. Help us to be in contact with them. We think of our sister Jerry. We've been trying to reach her for two weeks now. And uh, for some reason, uh, we just can't uh, track her down. And so we pray that she is well and that uh, all is okay there. And help us to contact her. Pray for Susan's cousin. who's going through a nasty divorce. Lord, we know that wasn't your intention at all, that there ever be divorce. So we pray that your Holy Spirit will be very present. And that through some of these things, somehow, uh, eyes will be drawn to you, will be drawn to Jesus, be drawn to the cross. Be especially with the children, who the devil wants in his web. I pray, Lord, that you send angels that excel in strength to surround these children, and all of our children. Lord, we are in terrible times, and time is short. I pray that you be with all the families of faith and be with families and children and protect them and draw them. Help us as parents to be the example we should be. Lord, I pray that you will be with our churches, that we may come into gospel order upon the foundation of truth, upon Jesus, that we may become united. It's an army terrible with banners, as the Bible says. We may finish this work. He may pour out the, the latter rain upon us. And we may finish this work, hasten the return of our Lord and Savior, that sin may be destroyed forever. We thank you so much for your wonderful blessings for each one of us. We pray that you'll continue to bless us, for we so need them. Be with me as I bring this subject to the congregation. Give me the words to speak, Lord. May they be your words, and not the opinions of men. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned earlier, I have 
entitled this message, this study, The Core of Gospel Order. And as we've studied, we look back and we've studied the topic of who and what the church is, we've come to a point where now, specifically, we're going to be speaking about organization, organization of the body of Christ. I have mentioned this expression, gospel order, several times. You know, sometimes, I've done this before, and I've noticed others have done this before. You study the Word of God uh, often enough, and and you, you start to use expressions. And we as Adventists, we have expressions that are common among Adventists, but then sometimes we assume that everybody would know what we're talking about (laughs) when you use that expression, you know. And so I've been using the expression gospel order, and it kind of dawned on me, well, what exactly is meant by the expression gospel order? I imagine there are a lot of people who don't, well, what's he mean by gospel order? So let's take a look at what inspiration tells us about gospel order here for for a moment as we, we begin this study. Um, I'm going to share something with you from the book Early Writings, and you'll find this in you know pages 97 uh, up through 100. In fact, there there are entire passages that uh, that are entitled Gospel Order, uh, but I can, I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. But but what is Gospel Order? Notice this. She says formality should be shunned. Speaking of church, you know, uh, some people come to church because well. It, it's the formal thing to do. It's the it's our duty. It's not really um, uh, uh, because we love Christ. And that's what the Pharisees were doing. See this, this Pharisaical. You've heard me uh, speak to this before. This Pharisaical attitude of, of uh, and this is where the expression legalists come from. Um, yeah, everybody's there at church on Sabbath, but is there really any love in the church? You see what I'm saying? It's everybody's there. It's it's just it's formality, and this is what she's saying. Formality should be shunned, but in so doing, order should not be neglected. Okay. She says there is order in heaven. There was order in the church when Christ was upon the earth, and after his departure, order was strictly observed among his apostles. Strictly, we're told here. And now in these last days. While God is bringing His children into the unity of the faith, there is more real need of order than ever before. For as God unites His children, Satan and His evil angels are very busy to prevent this unity and to destroy it. Okay? Now notice, she says, I saw that this door at which the enemy comes in to perplex and trouble the flock can be shut. So we have these churches, beloved, where we have home churches, we're, we've come out of apostasy, we're scattered around all over the world, we're in disorder. And what happens? Satan and his evil angels, they're trying to prevent unity. They want to destroy it. And as long as we're still scattered out around there, around the world, and there's no real order, as she says, it's a necessity. It was strictly adhered to. There is order in heaven. It's not to be neglected. How do we keep the winds of doctrine 
that are pervading all of the Advent movement. These fanatical teachings from coming in among us. There's got to be order. And she says, she saw that the door in which the enemy comes in to perplex and trouble the flock can be shut. How does it get shut? She says, I inquired of the angel how it could be closed. Here's the answer. He said, quote, the church must flee to God's word and become established upon gospel order. Did you hear the answer? How do we shut the door to all the disorder, to all the fanaticism, to all the attacks against unity? And the angel gives her the answer. We have to flee to God's word and become established upon gospel order, he says, which has been overlooked and neglected. End of quote. That's what the angel told her. And then she says, this is indispensably necessary in order to bring the church into the unity of the faith. Gospel order. Again, what did the angel say? The church must flee to God's word and become established upon what? Gospel order. Now notice this statement. Acts of the Apostles, page 185. As an important factor in the spiritual growth of the new converts, the apostles were careful to surround them with the safeguards of gospel order. The what? Safeguards. Of what? Gospel order. Churches were duly organized in all places in Lyconia and Pisidia, where there were believers. Officers were appointed in each church. And proper order and system were established for the conduct of all the affairs pertaining to the spiritual welfare of the believers. Now friends, what I want you to notice, in order to shut the door to the disunity, discord, disorder, the attacks of Satan... We have to flee to God's word. We have to become established on gospel order. And what is gospel order? Notice that gospel order are safeguards. And and it is an important factor in the spiritual growth of converts, this, this safeguard of gospel order. What is gospel order? It is proper order and system within the church established for the conduct of all affairs, we just read, all affairs pertaining to the spiritual welfare of the believers. Let me say that again. What is gospel order? It is proper order, organization, that's what, proper order and system, that's organization, established, in the church for the conduct of all affairs pertaining to our spiritual welfare. It protects us spiritually. That's what gospel order is. Now where do we find this system, this order delineated? What did the angel tell us? We need to flee to God's word. That's where we find it. In God's word. We don't find it in man's institutions. We find it in God's word. Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, 
verses 18 and 19. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Remember, this is the beginning of his ministry. He says, Because he hath anointed me to preach what? The gospel to the poor. He's anointed me to do what? Preach the what? Gospel. To who? To the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. This is all encapsulated under the gospel. And as you look through uh, uh, throughout the gospel accounts detailing the beloved, the ministry of Jesus, you'll find that gospel order first begins with the gospel. In every account of the mission of Jesus, you will see that this is the case. Before there can be any kind of true order, divine order, gospel order, there must first be the gospel. <laughs> it's kind of a no-brainer, isn't it? Well, what is the gospel? Mark 1 verse 1 says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's the correlation. What is the gospel? It has to do with Jesus Christ. The word gospel in Greek means good news. The term refers to the good news, you see, that the Messiah has indeed come to earth, as foretold by the prophets. And Mark here is declaring that Jesus is the Son of God. The Messiah. When it says Son of God, that means it's referring to the Messiah. Some people get mixed up on that. Those who get kind of sucked into this fanatical idea of the Godhead get, get mixed up on that. What, that. what that really is referring to means the Messiah has come. The Gospel is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Redeemer of mankind. That's the good news, is it not? John chapter 1, verse 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The only begotten of the Father, the one who became human. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. That's good news, is it not? For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. You see, friends, a misconception of the character of God has had its origins in heaven so long ago. And it continued through the ages to this point in time. Fulfilling His promise, God would send His Son to declare by word and much more by His life, the true character of our Father in Heaven. That He was not some tyrannical dictator that made arbitrary laws to infringe upon the freedom and liberty of His, of his uh, uh, subjects and gave Him an excuse 
to torture and ensnare them or destroy them at a whim, which is what many people see God as today. No, friends. The good news is that Jesus became one of us. The better to reveal that Father. The better to reveal our Father's love and mercy. To share our experience. To set us an example. To secure us in temptation. To suffer for our sins and to represent us before the Father. Christ became one of us. His Son, the Father's Son, who become a human being yoked with the Spirit of God to show mankind the truth about the Father, that He is love, and that His law, the Ten Commandments, is evidence of that fact, friends. That the disorder that sin has caused would be destroyed, and once again, love and order would reign throughout creation. In short, Jesus would show us the Father, Jesus would show us how to become a citizen of heaven. This is good news, is it not? Notice from the book Christ Object Lessons, page 128. No man can rightly present the law of God without the gospel. Or the gospel without the law. The law, notice this. Write these down. (laughs) The law is the gospel embodied and the gospel is the law unfolded. The law is the root. The gospel is the fragrant blossom and fruit which it bears. That is profound. Oh, but it gets better. Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus unfold the law of God? What was the fruit that He bore? From Testimonies for the Church, Volume 8, page 168. Genuine medical missionary work is the gospel practiced. Have you ever heard that? How do you practice the gospel? Genuine medical missionary work is the gospel practiced. Wow. Is it any wonder that health reform is the right arm of the three angels' messages? Did Jesus... Practice the gospel? That gets back to our uh, scripture reading for today. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23. That's why I said, Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. That's why what's included is and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. Well, what does sin cause, friends? Sin causes sickness. It causes disease. The good news is that the Messiah has come to deal with the sin problem. And when you sin with the, uh, deal with the sin problem, what's the fragrant blossom and fruit that it bears? Sickness and disease is healed. Spiritual sickness as well as physical sickness. Now I want you to notice this. Remember. Remember that principle. 
No man, remember what we read in Christ's Object Lessons, no man can rightly present the law of God without the gospel or the gospel without the law. The law is the gospel embodied and the gospel is the law unfolded. The law is the root, the gospel is the fragrant blossom and fruit which it bears. Now notice this. From Signs of the Times, it was an article entitled The Great Salvation, November 24, 1898. <laughs> this is just amazing. The gospel... This is what we're speaking to. The core of gospel order. The gospel is Christ unfolded and Christ is the gospel embodied. We are not to worship the gospel, but Christ, the Lord of the gospel. The gospel is glorious because it is made up of Christ's righteousness. Our Savior is a perfect representation of God on the one hand and a perfect representation of humanity on the other. Thus, He has combined divinity and humanity. Now, I want, I want you to notice this. What did we just read out of Christ Object Lessons, page 128? The law is the gospel embodied and the gospel is the law unfolded. Now let's compare the two statements. The one from Christ's Object Lessons, the one from the Signs of the Times. Okay, let's compare those two statements. What does she say the law is? She says, the law is the gospel embodied. And then she also said, Christ is the gospel embodied. Did you catch that? The law is the gospel embodied. Christ is the gospel embodied. And then she said, the gospel is Christ unfolded. And then she also said, the gospel is the law unfolded. Do you get it, friends? So we can say that Christ is the law. Or better yet, the law is a transcript of the character of God. It's the gospel. That's why she says, you can't separate the gospel from the law and the law from the gospel. Notice this, Signs of the Times, April 11th, 1895. The Lord Jesus is an example in all things. By the works which He did, He made it plain that He was in counsel with the Father and that He was in every move fulfilling the eternal purposes of God. In spirit, in works, in his whole earthly history, he revealed the mind and purpose of God toward his heritage among men. In his obedience to the law of God, he exemplified in his human nature the fact that the law is a transcript of divine perfection. Now it's key to understand that she's saying in his human nature because he had to fulfill the law in His human nature, to give us any hope that we can do the same. And notice that the law is a transcript of divine perfection. It's remarkable. Here's one more. It's from the Watchman. April 23, 1907. Christ draws us to Himself because He has been lifted upon the cross of Calvary. He came to the world with the accumulated love of eternity. Sweeping away the exactions which had in, encumbered the law of God, he showed that the law is a law of love, an expression of the divine goodness. What was the law? 
It's a law of love, and what is it? It's an expression of the div- of divine goodness. He showed that in obedience to its principles is involved the happiness of mankind, and with it the stability, the very foundation and framework of human society. As we read before, the gospel is glorious because it is made up of Christ's righteousness. The gospel is made up of the righteousness of Christ. That is good news. That we can attain this righteousness, friends, and be changed from a consistent sinner to an obedient member of the family of God. That is good news. We can become like Jesus in character, for He has overcome sin as a man, being an example to us, giving us hope. We see the Father's character manifested in the life of Jesus, perfect obedience to the law in His human nature. And we can be changed in His perfect human image, perfect obedience to the law. That's the gospel. Therefore, the core of gospel order friends, is Christ and His righteousness. That's the core. And you find that for us as Adventists in the first angel's message. Because it's the core. Bring glory to God. How do we bring glory to God? By obedience to His law. How do we do that? Through Christ's righteousness. The gospel. Let me share this with you. Review and Herald article entitled, Judge Not, November 5th, 1901. Christ's death and resurrection have opened before every soul an unlimited source of power from which to draw. This power will enable you to overcome the most objectionable traits in your character. God's supply of grace is awaiting the demand of every sin-sick soul. It will heal every spiritual disease. What will? God's supply of grace. It will heal every spiritual disease. By it, hearts may be cleansed from all defilement. It is the gospel remedy for the curse of sin. It unites human beings with Christ in the performance of good works, enabling them to run in the path of obedience, representing to the world the meekness and lowliness they have learned from the Savior. Not mighty and puffed up, meek and lowly, just as Jesus was. Notice this. Review and Herald. It's an article entitled Words and Counsel to the Church, July 8, 1909. It is the gospel and the gospel alone that will sanctify the soul. What sanctifies the soul? The gospel. What is sanctification? The righteousness of Christ imparted to us. We're given strength, grace, power to overcome. That's the gospel. It sanctifies the soul. As she says, it is this that makes possible to the receiver the life that measures with the life of God. 
Did you want a life that measures with the life of God? Not in the way Satan wants it. He wanted to be God. But a life of love and mercy. A life of obedience. Character trait that Adam was created with. She says, this is the record that God had given us. Even eternal life. And that life is in His Son. He who is partaker of the divine nature will escape the corruptions that are in the world through lust. His faith in Christ as the life giver gives Him life. Notice this. Those who submit their will to the will of God will grow in grace. There's a key. Write it down. Those who submit their will to the will of God will grow in grace. That's a promise. A faith that works by love and purifies the soul will give them a rich experience. The fruits of the Spirit will be seen in their life. And notice this, the efficiency of the Spirit be seen in their works. That's interesting. The efficiency of the Spirit will be seen in our works. I found that kind of unique and interesting. Efficiency. What is efficiency a fruit of, really? Order, isn't it? Order in our life is what we're told. And the efficiency of the Spirit will be seen in the works. There will be order in our works. Gospel order like that of Christ will be seen in our life. Fruits of the Spirit, an order in the life, the gospel of of Christ. This is good news. Jesus said in Matthew 24 and verse 14, He said, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. God is going to have a people who are in unity and order, friends. And that gospel is going to be preached through them. That gospel order. The good news. The core of gospel order, beloved, is Christ. And in order to have this order in our life, we must have Jesus. Can you see that? Amen? How do we have Jesus in our life? Well, I want to share with you seven steps to salvation through Christ and then we'll get to some tangible principles. Okay, This may become a two-parter. I have a lot here to share with you. How do we... How do we have Jesus in our life? You know, we read that we are to be in Christ. How, how is it that we can be in Christ? What does that mean? How do we attain it? Here's seven steps. And it's always good to review these things, friends, for us. Sometimes we may, uh, we may uh, be tempted to presume. You know, presumption is the faith of the world, not of the Christian. So I'm going to share these seven steps and then we'll get into some more tangible principles. First, we must lift up Jesus. We have to lift Him up. He has to be number one in our life. 
Remember what we read before that we, when we give our will, those who submit their will to the will of God will grow in grace. We have to lift Jesus up, submit ourselves to Him. And what's going to happen? We're going to grow in grace. How? He's going to draw us to Himself. John 12, verse 32. Jesus said that Himself. He said, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, what? Will draw all men unto me. He doesn't say might draw. It's possible that they could be drawn. He says will draw all men. They're going to have an opportunity. We studied earlier today in in our Sabbath school lesson about Nero. Paul gives this testimony. He gives the gospel. He lays it all out there. And for a moment, Nero is convicted of his evil, of his sin. And there's a little glimmer of hope that if he (laughs) repents, he can be saved. Right there. That moment, Jesus was drawing Nero to himself. Because Paul was what? Lifting Jesus up. So you see, it doesn't just affect us, friends. When we lift Jesus up, He draws all men unto Him. (laughs) But that's step one. We must lift up Jesus. Here's step two. When we lift up Jesus... Upon seeing Jesus, seeing lifted up, the law, remember Jesus of the law? When we see that law unfolded, that character of Jesus unfolded, what's that mean? It means the law is unfolded because Jesus is the law. Remember we, we saw that. The gospel is the law. Jesus is the law. It's the character trait of God. We see Jesus lifted up. We see that law unfolded. We will recognize our true condition that we're sinners because we've broken that law. We don't have that character. We see our need for a Savior. We see our need, not just for a Savior, but our need for Jesus, for Him. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3.18, he said, but we all, with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed in the same image. (laughs) How are we changed? When we, with open face, behold Him, see, as He's lifted up. We are changed in the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Holy Spirit helps us to keep lifting Jesus up. As we behold Him, we become changed from glory to glory into His image. Isn't it beautiful? Isn't that good news? That's the gospel. Step three. While Jesus is drawing us to Himself, we must not resist His drawing us to Himself. And that's where Satan comes in. He tries to throw these... Obstacles in our pathway. Remember what the Bible says? Jesus said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. If we keep looking up, if we don't resist Christ drawing us to Himself. What happened to Nero? He resisted it. Jesus drew him right there in that one instant 
opened his heart up. He almost, friends. Remember we studied about Felix. Almost thou persuadest me, right? Let's not resist his drawing us to himself. Matthew 12, verse 31. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. Because when you start to resist Christ drawing you and He draws you through the Holy Spirit, when you start to resist that, you're resisting the very agency that will save you. That will sanctify you. That will change you into the image of Christ. Into that righteousness. So we must not resist His drawing us to Himself. Let's not grieve the Holy Spirit. Step four. He will give us conviction of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. The Holy Spirit comes to us and He has a job to do in the Gospel. (laughs) And this is good news. Because, you see, we don't convict ourselves of sin. We tend to love sin, don't we? We need somebody to convict us of sin. But we also need somebody to teach us what righteousness is. And we need somebody to show us that things aren't going to go along like this forever. There is going to be a judgment. And we're either going to be on one side or the other. And we have an opportunity to be on the right side. So the Holy Spirit's given us to us to convict us of our sins so that we know we have a need of this of the Savior Jesus Christ. And as we are drawn to Him, if we don't resist it, we're going to be taught righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus. Or we know that there is. It's a life and death situation. There is a judgment. John 16, verses 8 to 11, And when He has come, He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they believe not on me. Because they don't see their need for a Savior. Many of them don't even know there is a law. (laughs) They they don't know there's a judgment. (laughs) They need to know. And when they see that law, they'll believe on Him. So he says, of sin, because they believe not on me, of righteousness, righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. In other words, I'm not going to be walking around on the earth teaching you how to do the right things. You will receive it through the Holy Spirit, this gift I'm sending you. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. We're going to see There's a right and a wrong. We're going to see there's a penalty. The penalty for separating from God, the life giver, is death. One of the first evidences of the work of the Holy Spirit, friends, is the deep conviction that one is a sinner. And that has to be the first work, doesn't it? For without this conviction, there's no sense of needing a Savior from sin, right? That's why Jesus said, well, they they didn't know the law, they have no sin, but since they know the law, their sin remains. 
But not only, again, as I said, not only does the Spirit expose sin, He convicts of positive righteousness. He urges us to accept the righteousness of Christ. Both the imputed, which is justification, we accept that gift from Jesus, we're justified in the Father's eyes because we've accepted the most precious gift He could ever give in His Son. And Jesus died on Calvary for that. So, He urges us to accept the righteousness of Christ, both that, that imputed, that justification, and the imparted righteousness, that, that sanctification, which is the gospel. And Jesus, you look through the gospel accounts of what Jesus did, He, he warned men of the judgment to come, didn't He? None can escape the judgment. It's as sure as death. Though fear of judgment is not to be uh, you know, a, a, a prime motive of doing what's right, it is a powerful agency in awakening sin-darkened minds. You know, Perfect love, we're told, cast out all fear. But sometimes fear can bring us to the Word of God. Amen? Now what happens then? Jesus is lifted up. He draws us to Himself. He gives us conviction of sin through the Holy Spirit. Shows us what we should be doing. The righteousness reveals the law to us. Judgment convicts us. What, what is step five? He will give us repentance. He will give us repentance. Acts 5 verse 31, among many scriptures... Him hath God exalted, speaking of Jesus, with His right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Jesus took the punishment Himself so that we don't have to bear it. He is forgiving us. He gives us repentance. We wouldn't do it of ourselves. Because you see, we can't save ourselves. There is no righteousness within us to be able to repent. Because of sin, our very natures were changed. And the only way to have it to turn around as a repentance means to turn away from, the only way we can do that isn't from our own strength. It comes from Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? It will give us repentance. What happens when we feel this remorse that the the Holy Spirit has convicted us with and, and we get this repentance, we must confess it, right? We must confess and forsake our sins, all of them. That's step six. One of my most favorite scriptures 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, He, who's He? Jesus, is faithful. And not only is He faithful, He's just to forgive us our sins. How can He forgive us our sins? Because He took the brunt of it. He died because of our sins. So He can forgive us, see? If we confess our sins, we admit to them. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and then to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's part of that uh, Holy Spirit work 
of convicting us of righteousness. He's going to cleanse us of unrighteousness and teach us how to be righteous. He's going to give us grace and power. Dunamis, as Paul says. Power. That's what the gospel is. Power to overcome. Power to overcome. Verse, excuse me, step seven. So we must confess. He gives us repentance. We must confess and forsake our sins. All of them, we can only do that through the power of Christ. We must give Him our entire heart and be born again in Him. Remember, we need to submit our will to the will of God. And we will always grow in grace. John 3, verse 3 to to 8. And we know this here. Jesus was approached at night by Nicodemus. You remember? Nicodemus, he wanted... You know, he had questions. He wanted to ask the Savior. And it's like Jesus reading his heart knew what Nicodemus was wanting. What he really needed. He wanted the path of least resistance. Well, we're not really told in the Scriptures what Nicodemus really wanted. I mean, but Jesus gets to the heart of the matter, doesn't He? It says, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And I think that took Nicodemus a little by surprise. And he responds... How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, You must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh. And whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. It's very interesting, isn't it? So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus thought he was speaking somehow physically. How do I go back into my mother's womb and be born again? What was Jesus telling him? He's saying, look, What is born of the flesh is flesh. When we're born of our mothers, beloved, we're born of the flesh. We have those fleshly desires. They are in control. We have a tendency to to feed self. Don't we? We choose to protect self. To do the things that self wants us to do. And Jesus says, someone who's controlled in that way, controlled by the flesh cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? What are the fruits of the flesh? All manner of sin is the fruit of the flesh. Because, like I said, it feeds that selfishness. Selfishness is the opposite of the love of God. you realize that? Yes. 
And so Jesus tells Nicodemus here, He says you've got to be born again, and it's a spiritual rebirth. You have to be born of the water and of the Spirit. You need to be baptized. See. The only way that your desires can be changed from selfish desires to unselfish desires is by the Holy Spirit. It's a gift God gives to us. Have you ever stopped and thought of how many gifts God gives us? How many gifts do we give to God? Something to think about. The Holy Spirit is given to us when we decide after we've, after we've looked to Christ, He was lifted up, we see Him, He's drawing us to Him, we gain conviction of our sin, He shares with us power to, to repent of our sins, we confess, forsake them, we give Him our entire heart. And it has to be a complete giving of the heart. The will. Not partial sacrifice. It has to be a complete sacrifice. But friends, we'll never regret that. Jesus said, you have to be born of the water and of the Spirit to enter the kingdom of heaven. You're born of the flesh, it's flesh. You're going to follow those carnal desires. But if you're born of the Spirit, you're going to be spiritual. You're not going to grieve the Holy Spirit away. It's not like some physical outward mark. And a lot of the Jews thought of that, see, because you, you had these outward signs, these Pharisees did. A number of them were the phylacteries. You know what those were? They were the box on, they pinned to their forehead where they misunderstood the Scripture. <laughs> this very thing, see? They misunderstood what was meant by have the law in your mind and on your, you know, your hand. And he's saying you have it in your mind and in your heart. And when you do this, you're born of the Spirit. The Spirit comes in, He changes your desires. That's why you go back to Genesis 3.15 and God said there, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between her seed and your seed. You accept the Spirit, you give your whole heart to Christ, the Spirit comes in, changes those desires, creates that enmity between you and sin. And it's not something you wear a box on your forehead or a hymn on your garment. It's seen kind of like what the, we see with the results of the wind. We don't see the wind. Do we? We see the result of what the wind can do. We can hear the wind. Are we listening to the wind? That Holy Spirit. Are we listening to that still small voice of the Spirit speaking to our hearts now? No, the wind, it's invisible, but you can see and feel its effects. And the Spirit of God works upon our hearts to change it and mold it into the likeness of Christ in the same way. We don't see the Holy Spirit. But we can see the effects. We can feel the effects. 
Bible teaches the gospel order does not stop there. It doesn't stop there. Now that's the core, you see. The foundation of true order. This new life in Christ must be maintained. It's not a once saved, always saved. Do you understand, friends? That's why Jesus said, Jesus didn't say, accept me and you'll be saved and then just hang around till I come back and I'll get you. He says, walk with me. Keep my commandments. Walk with me. I in you and you in me. (laughs) It's a a journey, you see. It has to be maintained, this, this newfound relationship. It has to be maintained. And it's, uh, you know, it has to be fed. Our physical life, we eat, don't we? We exercise, we do all these things to have health. It's the same in the spiritual sense. We need to exercise our faith. We need to feed the spiritual nature, the born-again nature, not the carnal nature. And it's going to be that way until we're changed when Jesus comes physically. But we can overcome sin. Jesus, that's the gospel. He is the law. Christ's righteousness can be seen in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And those are the first steps. But they have to be maintained. And how do you maintain it? Well, that consists of individual devotion. You know? It consists of obedience, continual obedience to Christ. Now, friends, this is a journey that sometimes, sometimes we get distracted and, uh, you know, we oftentimes we'll, we'll go to, Sabbath afternoons, we'll go to a park. And there are a number of state parks in Indiana, especially in southern Indiana. They're just beautiful parks. Um, you know, nice uh, creek beds and, and uh, um, rock formations and woods. And, and they have certain trails that you go through. And, and maybe this has been your experience, you know. Some of these trails, I mean, they can be kind of dangerous. If you're not paying attention, you can get hurt. And if you're walking along a trail and you're not paying attention to that trail, and I, and I know some at the trails at Turkey Run, I mean, it could be, it could cost you your life. If you don't pay attention to the signs, if you don't pay attention to the pathway, where you're traveling, I know, you know, Sometimes I get distracted, we'll be walking and I'll trip their tree roots and different things. You can trip and twist your ankle, you can fall down, there's just a number of things. And there's a spiritual lesson in our walk with the Lord. If we let the world distract us, we too can trip. We can step off the edge. But you know the good thing about it right now, we're in a period of grace. We're in a period of probation. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And we can come back. We can step back on that trail and that path. We can be renewed again. We can be forgiven. Our desires corrected. But there has to be individual devotion. 
Each of us has to be a student of the Master. Each of us must spend quiet time alone with Christ in a relationship to keep it strong. And friends, it's not an option. If we wish to be spiritually alive and healthy in Christ, it's mandatory. This is gospel order. This is what Jesus did. Jesus said in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, He said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Oh, you're journeying on a pathway that's tough. You've got to stay focused. I, I don't know about you, friends, but if you've traveled any, and you drive for any length of time, you become weary. You're wore out. You need rest. And in Christian, as we're dealing with the, the onslaught of these obstacles that the devil keeps putting in front of us, it's a warfare. The Sabbath day is so beautiful because we can rest from all that. We can gain energy from God. Being in His presence. Jesus says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You can't gain rest from anybody else. There's no rest in sin. There's always that fear of condemnation and of judgment with sin. When Jesus forgives us, wipes the slate clean, we can have rest. That's good news. Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Friends, are you tired? Are you worn? Come to Jesus. This first step of gospel, true gospel order, it's the core. Jesus Christ is the core of gospel order. He says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Do you cast your burdens upon Him? He wants us to. But we have to continue this devotion. It's a part of order. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. How do we do that? We have to have this relationship. We have to be in Christ. We have to continue walking with Him, advancing with the light. Jesus is the light. How do we do that? Paul said in Philippians 2.5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. become like Christ, we must develop through faith and grace a mind like that of Christ. And there's an order to all of this and I hope you're seeing it. God is a God of order. And I think I'm going to stop right there for now. We'll pick this up again next week. But there is a, a you can develop your own personal system tailored to maintaining that connection with Christ and advancing with the light and walking with the Lord. And I have a, a, a personal system that I'll share with you that I believe will help you uh, to be consistent in having gospel order in your spiritual life. Now some of you, I know, well, maybe many of you have heard this before and hopefully uh, you, you have it in, uh, put it in practice. But this is in line with what we've been learning. And so the very first thing to gospel order is to come to Jesus, is to know Jesus, is to accept Jesus who is the gospel, who is the law, 
If you love me, keep my commandments. <laughs> that means, if you love me, keep me in your heart. Keep me in your mind. And I will bring order to your life of disorder. And like I said, friends, we'll learn that it ripples out from there. And we'll see a transformation not only in your life, you'll see it in the family, you'll see it in the church, and we can finish this work, hasten our Lord's return, and we can go home. Do you want to go home? Oh, beloved, I want to go home. This world is not my home. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for Jesus, who is the gospel. We thank you that you poured out the gospel, all heaven, for our salvation. This is good news. We're thankful, oh Lord, from our hearts, so thankful that Jesus died for our sins, that we may be forgiven, that we can have true peace, that we can have order in our life. And Father, as I've shared these steps, I pray anyone listening that the Holy Spirit will work with these people, that they may be convicted of their sin, but also of righteousness and judgment. And have that peace that passes understanding that their guilt may be removed when they confess and forsake. And we do this each and every moment of every day. And as we continue to look up to Jesus, we will be drawn to Him and by beholding we will become changed. Father, again, I thank You so much for Your Holy Word and for Your promises that protect us, keep us safe. Help us to shut the door to the devil's attacks. Shut the door to his fight and bringing disunity among us. May we get into the order that only you can provide, that it is according to thy will, and that the devil can be removed. We thank you so much again for the Sabbath day. We thank you for the wonderful blessings of being with like believers and resting from all our works and the battles. Lord, encourage us, strengthen us for the battles yet ahead. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.